Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class, 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. Why can't the United States get any good candidates for president? Well, I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours. Truly, support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com, mcclanahanacademy.com. And of course, if you do that, in the month of August 2023, we're wrapping up the month. If you want to give me the coupon code Jackson, you can get $70 off my latest class at McClanahan Academy, Reading Andrew Jackson. It's a great class. It is only on sale for a few more days at this price. So you want to get it, use the coupon code Jackson, take $70 off the class, Reading Andrew Jackson. You can purchase other classes there too, but that is my latest course. And of course, if you're on the email list, you're going to get those coupons anyways. You can also support the show by clicking on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can click on the heart button under this video, the super thanks button if you're watching on YouTube. Go to Spotify for podcasters. You can throw a few pennies my way, all of those locations. But as always, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so people know you love it. Give that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. Send me those show requests. That does help get more eyes and ears on the show and keeps the show fresh. And in fact, this is a listener-generated episode. Somebody did email me and say, hey, look. I'm looking at this entire political situation in 2024. We've got a bunch of dunderheads running for office. It doesn't matter which party you're talking about. All of these people are awful. Why is that? Why is the United States in such a bad situation? Why does it seem like we can't get anybody good running for office for the president of the United States? So I thought that was actually a really interesting question. And one, frankly, that I'm not certain there's a solution to based on our current environment. I actually had a colleague of mine almost ask the exact same question. They look, they survey the scene. They look at who's in office right now, Joe Biden. They look at the vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris. They look at the potential replacements for either one of those people from the Democrats. I mean, who is it? Gavin Newsom? I mean, that would be the front runner, ostensibly, if Biden couldn't or would not serve again. Kamala Harris would be in that group. But you look at the Democrats and they don't really have anybody good that would be uh, someone that people in America would just say, yeah, I really like that person. And then, of course, we just had the Republican debate uh, uh, last week. And you look at the eight candidates that were on the stage, nine including Donald Trump, which did that very funny interview. Now, look, Donald Trump is a live Seinfeld episode every time he does an interview. It's completely about nothing. It's the funniest thing you'll ever see. They tackled Joe Biden walking on the beach. He can't walk on the beach. He, can only, he can't walk on grass. He can't do any of this because he has the skinny legs. I mean, this is hilarious. Uh, it, it's, it's the funniest thing you'll ever get. In fact, somebody did a, did a Trump 
speech where they did a Seinfeld mashup with it. They had the music in the background and they did the little symbols and everything. It was Trump talking about paper straws. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. That's Donald Trump. It's the comedy. It's the stick that he does that makes it so funny. But of course, there's not really much to Trump in terms of any kind of policy. I mean, Trump does have a certain um, gravitas to him, for lack of a better word. He does feel presidential when he addresses people. He's He's the guy that pushes the other people out of the way, other world leaders out of the way, and gets in the front of the camera. I mean, Trump does have this this uh, you know, presence to him that the other candidates simply don't have. It is something that makes Trump a little more formidable. When he's on the stage, he seems to be bigger than all the other candidates. I don't know what that is. It's maybe it's because he's been in business so long, he just has that kind of persona. He's been in the public eye so long, he knows how to do it. He knows how to work the media. And the other candidates simply don't have any of that. So I'm going to talk about you know these other Republican candidates and what happened in that debate. If you didn't watch it, I didn't watch it. I've just seen the recaps and uh, read the news reports out of it from all the different outlets, whether it's conservative or, or left. I've read all of them. Uh, just to try to get a sense for what happened. I wasn't going to waste my time on it. There's other things going on. And at this point, we're in August of 2023. The election is not till November of 2024. And this just shows you this, the real problems we have in American politics that we're already getting out there and talking about an election that is, frankly, almost a year and a half away and that we're already trying to jockey for position among candidates. All of the things we're experiencing right now, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, whether it's Biden being as bad as he is or the potential replacements of the Democrats or the Republican field being as sorry as it is, all of this is a symptom of the disease, which is over-centralization. And not just that, these are things that started developing within the first Washington administration, and that would be political parties. Now, we didn't get parties like we think of now, really until about the 1820s and Martin Van Buren organizing the Democratic Party in New York. And then, of course, the Whigs would eventually follow suit. And they would do all these things, you know, campaign slogans and buttons and chants and songs and, and uh, conventions and all this stuff. They would start organizing parties. And parties would become cancerous. And they really are cancerous to the American system. Uh, we don't have to have political parties. It's something I talked about a couple of weeks back when I was reviewing uh, Doug Wilson's little essay on the American founding in Jefferson and Hamilton. I mean, we, we didn't have to have parties. They're not part of our system. He was correct about that. Parties have ruined the American political system. But again, the parties are a symptom of the disease. So we have to talk about the disease first, and that has to be cut out somehow in order to make it to where all of these really mundane and innate and ridiculous things don't happen for American politics. So let's just go back and think about where we are in 2023 right now with the 2024 election. Now remember, I've said that I think this is the last election cycle that we don't get an Obama running. Now there is some, I've just seen an article a couple of days ago, well, a couple of weeks ago now it seems like, where there was a piece about Michelle Obama potentially riding in to save the day if Joe Biden cannot serve another term, if Joe Biden is going to be done that Michelle Obama would be put in place. Kamala Harris would be pushed aside and we would have Michelle Obama. Now, I don't think this is her time, but I do think she's going to run in 2028. 
I think Michelle Obama is going to be uh, president of the United States at some point. And I think it's going to be in 2028. Because if Obama runs, she wins. There's no question about it. In fact, there's some questions now about what's going on behind the scenes. You know, we know everyone knows Joe Biden really is just a figurehead at this point. He's he's got real mental issues, physical issues. Um, he's an empty suit, and we know that the bureaucracy is running the show. We know that a lot of former Obama people are running the show, and by default, then Obama is probably running the show. We're getting a third Obama term right now with Joe Biden in office. And if he runs again and he wins, we're going to get a fourth Obama term. And then, of course, following that, what are we going to get if Michelle Obama runs a fifth and sixth Obama terms? If you think about that, we could have an Obama controlling the executive office for 24 years. That is pretty remarkable. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Virginia dynasty kind of stuff that would place a pretty substantial stamp on the future of American government. And of course, American law, American politics, it would be huge. If the Obamas were physically back in the executive office, and we know that Michelle Obama would be president, but certainly uh, Barack Obama would have a large input in what happens, um, we, would, we would see uh, some, I mean, a remarkable historical event taking place. First of all, Michelle Obama, and remember, Obama's the first black president. The Obamas would not pass on the, on the possibility of having the first woman also in the Obamas. Think about what that would mean. The Obamas would hold the first black president and the first woman president. They would get both. They would sweep the firsts. And uh, that would everyone always looks to as the first, you know, the big things in America. Then we can work on the other stuff, you know, the other things that are supposed to be important in identity politics. We could get all that out of the way. So I don't think the Obamas are done. I really do think they're going to get back into the limelight, and they're going. To, Michelle Obama is going to run for office. Uh, it's just going to happen, but it's not going to happen in 2024. So you think about you know what we have. We have these pretty awful candidates, and you go down the list on the Republican side. Now I, I will say this: I mentioned RFK Jr. In a, in a podcast a while back. RFK Jr. is really the wild card in some ways. You know, is he going to be able to pull enough votes away from Joe Biden to make a difference? He's much more polished than Joe Biden. He's much more polished than just about anybody who was on the stage for the Republicans. If it wasn't for the fact that he had a, a difficult time speaking, I mean, RFK Jr. might have been much more politically involved earlier on in life. But he holds the right positions on foreign policy, which puts him in stark contrast to both the establishment Democrats and the establishment Republicans. You did see there was some question about foreign policy in the Republican debate. And the only one who was really that interested in ending the uh, American never-ending money pit in Ukraine was Vivek Ramaswamy. So he was the only one. DeSantis begrudgingly said, well, I may not give that kind of money. But every other Republican on stage was going to give money to Ukraine. Now, Donald Trump has said he's not going to give money to Ukraine. That's all going to stop. If he becomes president again, all that's going to stop. And I do believe him in that way. One thing I could say about a second Trump term, this is why, I mean, look, I have my reasons for, for thinking a second Trump term would be absolutely fantastic. But one of the reasons that Trump would be preferable to any of the other candidates up there 
would be his positions on foreign policy, which is the only thing. And I think Trump has learned from the first time around that you don't put a bunch of West Coast Straussians and neocons in positions of power in the general government and think that you're going to change everything, anything, or anything at all, not just everything, but anything in Washington, D.C. Maybe there is some reflection there and Trump goes in a different direction. Now, I don't know how that's going to work. One thing I will say about a second Trump term, and something that I think would be fascinating, is the rapid deterioration of faith and confidence in the American presidency. It would be a delegitimization of epic proportions. And I think that that needs to happen in the American presidency. We don't need to have this fawning over the executive branch that's be all end all. We don't need strong executive government in America. We need legislative government. We need the legislature to do its work. We need the states to do their work. We don't need the presidency to control the American government. And Trump being president would help speed that up in some ways. At least the left would look at the presidency with such disdain. Maybe they start moving away from wanting uh, so much executive government. Now, I think that's maybe you know, a little bit of false hope because, of course, the left really likes executive government when they have power. And if Michelle Obama ran for office in 2028, and you see this is why I think they're not going to run yet. Trump-Biden is going to happen. The Democrats are trying to stop Trump through legal means from ever setting foot on, uh, on a debate stage again or in any way being part of the political process. They're trying to do it through the legal process. I don't think it's going to work, and I do think it's going to backfire, even in Georgia. I think it's going to backfire for him. But I don't think the Obamas want to go against Trump. Now, I think, they, I think Michelle Obama would beat Donald Trump, but I don't think they want to do it. I think they want to ride in after all the chaos and everything else, and save the day in 2028. That's a clear path. Who are the Republicans going to run? You look at the list of people they had on that stage, and they're all pretty awful. Great governors. Ron DeSantis, uh, I mean, doing a good job in Florida. North Dakota. Burgum seems to be doing all right. Uh, Aza Hutchinson in, in Arkansas, I'm, it's okay. Uh, you have, I mean, Nikki Haley, awful. On every in everything she ever did, Nikki Haley should. I mean, Chris Christie. So what you have on that stage, if you look at the the people on that stage, all of them, with the exception of Ramaswamy, were governors. If my memory serves me correctly, you got Chris Christie, governor. You got Ron DeSantis, governor. You've got Nikki Haley, governor. Mike Pence, governor. Asia Hutchinson, governor. Borgham, governor. All these people were governors of states. And then you have Ramaswamy, who was never a governor of, of Ohio. He's just a guy, a businessman, a guy that wanted to run. Now, Ramaswamy, is, there's a lot of questions about his sincerity and other things. Is he really committed to the positions that he holds? He makes a lot of noise. And in fact, when you look at the amount of time anyone spoke, only Mike Pence was allowed more speaking time than Ramaswamy. I think it was by like a minute or two. Ramaswamy had about 10 or 11 minutes of speaking time, Pence about 12. And then I think Chris Christie was next. But, I mean, that's surprising. Ron DeSantis was the one that everyone thought, and he was the guy, the front runner. so he had center stage. He was the one that people thought should be taking control of this. And he did a terrible job. DeSantis, I think, is going to, his campaign is going to suffer tremendously. Now, again, this is so early. Who knows? But you look at all these people across the stage, a lot of them governors. Now, you think to yourself, well, that should be pretty interesting. I mean, 
Uh, it's your, your show, McClanahan, is Think Locally, Act Locally. Don't you want to have governors, people on there? Well, I've said before that Ron DeSantis should stay a governor. I think governors should stay governors. The president of the United States uh, is a different kind of position. And just because you're a good and effective governor doesn't mean you're going to be a good and effective president. In fact, I think it would actually be dangerous in some ways because governors have a lot more latitude and a lot more power than the president of the United States should have. The president of the United States has very few constituted authorities, very few constituted duties. Very few. And what we really need is someone who's going to run, who understands the real role of the American presidency, and doesn't abuse power. And I don't think it's going to be any one of those people on stage. In fact, you listen to most of them. You talk about foreign policy, one of the major points. They all want to send more money to Ukraine. They want more American involvement in foreign wars. They want more American involvement around the globe. They want more American empire. And you know who's not any different from that? Well, the Democrats. They are the same party. It's why people have been talking about these issues, the Uniparty, since the 1960s and 70s. That they're really the same. And in so many ways, people that say this aren't incorrect. They are correct about this. And you can actually go back before the 60s and 70s and start talking about the Uniparty in America. Really, since Franklin Roosevelt and the Republican opposition to the Roosevelt administration was so tepid, it wasn't very good. It was just, well, the New Deal's okay, we just don't want so much. And that's basically been the Republican position since the New Deal. The Democratic positions are okay. They're, they've won the debate, but we just think it's going too far. This is the West Coast Straussianism. You know what? Equality is a great thing. Even we, we, can, we can try to, to debate the definition of equality because equality is conservative. We just think the left goes too far. Well, who actually wins that debate then? Well, the left. And you have to play on their field by their terms and their rules and everything else. And they just change them. When it seems like they're going to lose because they make the rules and it's their game, they just change this stuff. Okay, so... Really what we're seeing, and this goes all the way back to the Washington, the first, first president, Washington, and the farewell address. What we're really seeing is the massive expansion of the bureaucracy, the massive, massive expansion of the central government and executive government, and it creates this climate where we get a bunch of power-hungry people who aren't very bright oftentimes. Some of these people are. I mean, look, Borgham was a, was a great businessman in, in North Dakota, um, Bergham, he actually had the best response to the Dobbs decision, saying, look, this is a state issue. The states should just be involved in it. Mike Pence, and, and I think DeSantis essentially had that position as well. Uh, Mike Pence, no, no, Mike Pence, we need a national piece of legislation on this. Well, that's going to turn people off. Again, because that's not something the Congress needs to do. It's illegal in reality. We need more people that believe in federalism that are running for federal office. And the presidency should be no different. You, you go back and look at some of these early presidencies and just pitch the Andrew Jackson class, reading Andrew Jackson. Jackson spoke a lot about federalism. Talked about it all the time. It's not something you hear about much anymore. Where the general government actually says, well, you know, these issues are really state issues and I can't really do much about it. Now, Jackson can be correctly criticized for his stance on nullification and secession. And I do that in reading Andrew Jackson. But he also said some pretty interesting and uh, far-reaching things about federalism and the powers of the states and state sovereignty and the original Constitution. 
He was correct on a lot of these things. But of course, what we normally get um, is Andrew Jackson is some kind of crazy guy. Uh, now, the left likes Andrew Jackson because of nullification and secession. Um, I think that Andrew Jackson was uh, doing things that were um, very dangerous uh, and that should not have been done. And of course, he set the stage for uh, what becomes of uh, Abraham Lincoln. But I digress. So we have these different things going on in America. And we have the disease of centralization, and that creates a climate where we get very bad presidents. You can see it in Rome. I talked about Rome, how the degradation of the pre of the emperor over time. You got some good ones, and then there were some bad ones, and you had a few more good ones, and then you had a lot of bad ones. It just kept going downhill because the the corruption became so extensive. It became so ingrained that one person couldn't do anything to clean it up, and the corruption started feeding the executive, and eventually the executive became part of the problem. And you're seeing that in America. You're seeing it right now with all of these candidates who are going to be just as ingrained into the corruption as anything else. And this is what Vivek Ramaswamy brought up. Well, how many up people up here are bought, and bought by something? All of them. Joe Biden is. The Democrats are. They're all bought by somebody. And that's the appeal. That's Donald Trump's appeal. He's not bought by anybody. Now, of course, the Democrats said he was. The thing that Trump... How, why Trump irritated so many in the establishment, and it's something that Dave Chappelle actually said in his comedy routine. Trump admitted. He said it was like the guy walked out of the house where you knew all the shady stuff was going on inside. All the corruption, all the dirty deals, all the bad stuff. You knew it was all happening inside. Everybody on the outside knew that was the bad house. And one of the guys walks out and says, hey, listen, let me tell you guys, you know what's going on there? It's all true. Everything you're no, everything you are concerned about, it's all true. I know because I'm part of it. And he went right back inside the house and kept doing some of it. And people got freaked out, particularly people in the house. They wanted to kick him out because Trump exposed them. That's the problem. Trump exposed all of these people and they have to get him. And I think that's the thing that makes Trump so interesting moving forward. It's the arrests. It's everything else. Look, all of that delegitimizes the presidency. I remember, and I've told this story before, I would sit when I was in graduate school with my roommate, we would laugh about this kind of stuff. You know, what, what you have to do is delegitimize the presidency in some ways to make it so bad. It's like President Camacho, that people lose all faith in it. And then you might start seeing some real reassertment of state powers and state sovereignty and the Congress taking back over and some of the things that have to happen for American federalism and the real Constitution, the Constitution is ratified to be paid attention to. The Dobbs decision, the Republicans don't like it. The Democrats have figured out that if they leave it to the states, they're pretty much going to get their way. There are going to be some states that are more restrictive, but there's a lot of states where it's not. And they know because of victories, even in the state where it's states where you have some restrictions, they can get some things through because most Americans are not on board with, say, Mike Pence and his position. Uh, it's just a fact. Now, could that change? Could more Americans come around to the Pence position? Sure, it could happen. But most Americans are not on board with that. So... These states are going to operate in that way. 
And the, the Democrats have figured out federalism is a pretty good thing for their positions as well in many of the states, whether it's New York or California or Massachusetts, Washington, Oregon. They can kind of get their way on some stuff. And they can be pretty much left alone by the general government. That's the issue. So I find all of that fascinating. But again, it's a symptom of the disease. Foreign policy should be the only thing these people are really talking much about. We get off on into the woods and all kinds of other things that should never be under the purview of the presidency. All they should really talk about is foreign policy. The president should execute the laws of Congress that are constitutional. This is actually something that uh, my uh, colleague Kevin Goodsman pointed out with the Obama administration. Prosecutorial discretion, in some ways, is um, nothing more than just not enforcing unconstitutional laws. Now, we can see how that could be abused, and the president could actually do things that are not um, part of that, where they would not enforce constitutional laws. And this could be very dangerous. You're talking about executive government again. But the president should be talking about foreign policy. If the president deviates from that and, and talks about other stuff, other than protecting the Constitution and vetoing unconstitutional legislation, then he's not really doing his job. The president is acting like an elected king. He's dictating from the executive office what he wants to do and what he, what he needs to do here and these kind of things. Now, we know the president can make recommendations and the president can say, I think we should do all this. Congress could ignore all of it. Now, the real issue, of course, again, is the symptom. Is the, these are symptoms of the disease. Executive government. The president now sets the budget because of the executive branch. And the executive branch is the biggest part of the general government. And so the president sets the budget for the executive branch. They submit that to Congress, and Congress debates off the president's requests. Instead of Congress coming up with it and saying, you know what, here's what we're going to do for the executive branch. This is what you're going to get, and that's all you're going to get. The threat is, of course, that the executive branch will veto all that. You see, because we've gotten now this kingly situation. So I'm, I'm explaining how all of this is probably not going to go away. We're going to keep getting ridiculous people running for office. We're going to get power-hungry people running for office. We're going to get dangerous people running for office. It's always going to happen. We're going to have massive corruption. There's so much money in the center. When you start talking about things like voter fraud or potential voter fraud or voting irregularities or all these things, we're always going to see that because there's so much money and so much power in the center. How do you change that? You have to have people willing at the state and local level to confront the general government, and that would be your governors. This is why governorships are very important. It's why all those people on the stage, if they'd actually, under, I mean, look, Nikki Haley created in some ways the modern culture war in the last, say, 10 years. It was her doing in South Carolina. She could have put a stop to it right there, but she didn't. She capitulated. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's unforgivable. Uh, Ramaswamy, in pointing out you know, Nikki Haley is you know, all of her deficiencies, was correct in that. Chris Christie, New Jersey, you know, Mike Pence, uh, Indiana. I remember uh, years ago, uh, Clyde Wilson wrote a piece on the Republican Party and he pointed out that when you get when you boil everything down to the Republican Party, you get Mike Pence. Mike Pence was the most polished person on the stage, without question. Better than DeSantis in terms of being polished. His answers were corny and canned. Uh, he, had, he had all of the important, quote-unquote, conservative positions, talking points locked up. He knew how to do it. He's a 
poster child for West Coast Straussianism. He had all of the things to protect the presidency, you protect the integrity of the government, all these very Lincolnian positions. He had all of that rhetoric locked up. Mike Pence is your establishment Republican, through and through. He's going to give you exactly what the party wants. That's what Mike Pence is going to do. He is the party. Ron DeSantis, in many ways, is the same kind of person. He might deviate a little bit from the party. You see, the party and the people are two different things. The party and the voting public, the party and the Republican constituents, two different things. The party is establishment. <clears throat> and the party is heavily influenced by the West Coast Straussians, by the neoconservatives. That is the Republican Party. So you have to change the narrative at the bottom. You have to get a much more um, anti-interventionist foreign policy. Somehow in the Republican Party, there has to be an anti-interventionist party in America. We don't have one right now. But that would be a great benefit if, um, if people could actually look beyond the parties. And the parties are creating the problem because the parties control the nomination process, the parties control who gets to, to run for president. And if you're not a Republican or you're not a Democrat, your chances of winning are about zero. We saw that it could happen in 92 with Ross Perot. Ross Perot spent his own money. Ross Perot sounded uh, very, uh, you know, common sense to a lot of people. But he got nervous because the parties attacked him in a way that made him back out for a time then get back in it. Again, the parties are going to try to crush anyone that throws a wrench into their plans of domination of the general government. And they're all in it together. I mean, the Republicans and Democrats might have differences, slight differences on things, but they generally agree with the same thing, and that is the expansion of federal power and more and more power to the center and more and more money for the general government and spending more and more money. It just whatever they're going to spend it on. Again, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was correct about this. The Republicans aren't anti-spending. They're anti-spending on things they don't want. They're more than fine spending tremendous amounts of money on the U.S. military. Which, of course, when you look at you know, the Republican position on that, well, that's the constitutional thing, right? We can have a national defense. We can have these things. All this other stuff is unconstitutional. I get it. But if you have to be fiscally responsible and cut spending... Well, then you do have to cut it out of foreign policy as well. And we shouldn't be giving aid to every country in the world and do all these things. We should protect our borders. We should do all that stuff. But this is the issue. The issue is power and money and the parties. And Washington pointed out in his farewell address, I find it funny that the Congress still reads the farewell address. I think they still do it before every session. Beginning of every session of Congress, they read George Washington's farewell address. And they don't pay any attention to it. The fact we have political parties, Washington... Washington's farewell address is an indictment of political parties and factions. The real issue, of course, does come down to the executive branch. The founding generation designed an executive branch for one man, George Washington. When that man was no longer alive or in office, what are we going to get? And we've seen that there are a few good ones right after Washington was out of office. There are a few good ones even into the 19th century. There are a few good ones in the late 19th century, at least one in Grover Cleveland. And there's been about one good one in the 20th century. That's it. But that's, again, a symptom of the disease. All of these things are, are the disease is extreme centralization of power and executive government. If we could cut that somehow, you would see a lot of this take care of itself. You might get some more 
some people that are more interested in the presidency or being president if they're not going to be consistently attacked. And, um, you know, look, Trump is a perfect example of this. Again, Trump takes all the heat and he'll do it. Uh, Again, I find that fascinating that he's willing to do that. The mugshot is out and all these things. But Trump is willing to do it. It shows you what people will do to you if on the other side, if they don't like you and they're willing to try to take you down, they will do it mercilessly and, and um, they'll be restless about it. They will do it. The left is relentless. They will do it as long as they need to do it until they get you. And that is the thing that Trump is exposing, right? So Trump is doing a service to the American public and looking, you know, lifting the veil again. This is all the things that are going on. Why do they want to do this? Well, because it's about power and money. And the obstacle to that in their mind is Donald Trump, and he has to be removed. All right. So that's why we can't have good people run. Corruption, political parties, money, power, executive government. These are the reasons why we're stuck with the dopes that we get on both sides And while we're never really going to see any improvement in that until we start seeing a reassertment of federalism and we have real federal government in America, and that goes back to the states. It goes back to the governors of the states and the state legislatures. They need to do their job on a regular basis and get off the cash strip, one thing, and then also assert their sovereignty when they need to. That's also important. All right. See you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.